I'm supposed to dismiss grades one through six for class. So, some of you are quite old to be going out, but just joking. One through six, dismissed for class. Good morning. Good morning. And happy Father's Day to the fathers that are here today. You know, I didn't know I was going to be speaking on Father's Day. It's kind of odd because I was challenged uh, a few weeks ago about the thing of father and son, you know. And this, this has, well, it may have something to do with our subject this morning in, in John 3, but I think it has something to do with the entire subject of the Bible. You know, when Jesus came, his, his title or his address to God was Father, right? And the Bible says that God revealed his Son to us. That was the way he, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says he came to us in Son. He came in Son. So Father and Son. And Jesus talked about how much the Father loved the Son. And God himself even talked about how much he loved his Son. And I've, as I was thinking about this, I was meditating on this one day, I thought about how, how I don't want to sound critical, okay, because it's easy for me to be critical. Those of you that know me, I'm, it's easy for me to be critical. But I, I got to thinking Maybe I'll just apply it to me. If I'd have spent more time trying to discover what a father was to a son and what a son was to a father, I think I'd have had more understanding of God. I think God did that. He didn't call himself master and servant. He didn't call himself you know, high Lord of all and all that. He said, this is my father and I am his son. And I really believe, what did God call us? He called us his sons, you know? And, you know, I, after I did that, I started looking around at fathers who really love their sons. Not that there's fathers in who don't love their sons, but, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to, point people out, you know, but Hogan, you know, yeah, I guess I pointed him out, didn't I? But I, I watch Hogan with little, little uh, Hank, how much he loves that boy. But I watch him, how he'll let him go, and he'll get, he'll let him go, and then all of a sudden he sees, uh-oh, you know, and he goes and pulls him back. And I thought, God, Maybe that's more the way you are with us, and we don't even realize it. You know what I'm saying? And you know, another thing I noticed is that some of the theological terms we use, now listen, I've been to Bible school, okay? I got a four-year degree in the Bible. I just, I'm not saying that to puff me up, but I noticed since I've been there, I know what we talk about, and we talk a lot of, of uh, theological terms about God. But what I've noticed about that, none of that necessarily draws you close to God. 
did you listen to the songs today? They were intimate songs. They were about being intimate with God and knowing Him and Him knowing us. And this is more what it takes. And if you look, if you look in the Bible, David didn't have his theology altogether. Moses didn't have his theology all. God used those people. God worked through those people. It wasn't about whether they had all their theology together. Now, don't get me wrong. Theology is important. But I don't know that we can, we can draw intimate with God or become intimate with God just knowing his physical attributes and the things he can do and he can't do, which we like to talk about. I think it's more about Father and Son. And through father and son, that's how we can draw close to God. I'm watching you dads now. Now, see, this is dad's day. I'm, I got my eye on you dads. And, I, of course, I got my eye on me, you know, because, you know, how do I treat my sons? How do I treat, and you can make daughters in there too, you know. How do you treat your children? How do we respect and work with one another? Because I believe that's the way we can draw near to God. I'm always reminded of that scripture, and I know I've probably, you know, put this on us a lot of times, but I always think of when Moses wanted to, wanted to know God, he wanted to see God, he had a big task of taking people through the wilderness, and he said, man, I can't handle these people, I got to know who I'm walking with here. You remember that in the scriptures back in Exodus 30-something, 30 34? He... <laughs> God came to him and he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, compassionate, holding loving kindness for thousands. You know, that's how we have to get to know him. I may never have all that other stuff sorted out, and, but boy, that stuff, it's very obvious. And today as we get into this section in the Gospel of John, I think we're going to see some of this as it's expressed here in this chapter 3, starting with verse 9. And I'm going to read verses 9 through 15, and then after I read them, I'll tell you why I didn't go on, because I think it's important to just... These are, these are not easy verses. And, you know, I think I said the last time, if you want to know the... Uh, purpose of John's gospel, you got to go back to John chapter 20 and read it because I think verses 30 and 31 tell us that he wrote all these things so that we might believe in Jesus. All these things he said I've written that you might believe and that believing you might have life in his name. That's the purpose of the book. You find it at the end, not at the beginning. And if you look at each chapter I'm just trying to give you a, a, a paradigm to, to look at the book. In each chapter, there is a, there's something going on, a discourse, something Jesus is talking about, or Jesus does a miracle. And out of it, some people will believe and others will unbelieve, if you want to call it that. They, they're in unbelief. So you'll see the difference between people who believe and the people who do not believe. And that John wants to show us that, that, you know, sometimes God can't do something big enough for people to believe. 
Did you understand what I just said? Sometimes God just can't do anything big enough for people to believe. And I don't want to give away a bunch of the stuff that we're going to cover later. And sometimes God don't have to do very much for people to believe. And I think John wants to show us that, show us how, how people are. Because, you know, one of the things the Bible wants to do is to convince us that we are sinful. Hello? You know, we can read it. Oh, we're sinful. Okay. But, you know, until you really get that conviction that you're sinful, it's a little hard to be desperate enough to reach out to something that will cure that, something that will take hold of you. Okay. I know I'm... I came up here to teach and I went to preaching, okay? But so the... You like my Mexico shirt? Did you know I went to Mexico a few weeks ago? Yeah, I preached down there. I got some of these linen shirts. They're from a place called Marida. Marida, next to Campeche. And they make them out of linen. Does anybody know what linen is? No one wants to talk this morning. I think you beat, you take a some type of, uh, of a weed and you beat it until it, it's got all these little fine fibers and then they make it, they make it out of that. It's a very uh, nice material. It doesn't wrinkle and that's what I need because I'm always messing things up. But I got a couple of these when I was down there. A friend of mine took me to a place back in the middle somewhere and we got these and I, I thought I'd wear it today just so you know that I went. <laughs> I don't have any pictures, but you know. I got two of these, so this is a dark one. The other one, the other one's a little bit too wild. I thought if I wore it this morning, most of you'd be distracted. And uh, kind of like Nathaniel said at my daughter's wedding, which my daughter and son-in-law, my new son-in-law, are over here. Uh, give him a hand, folks. <laughs> Abigail and Jarvis. Like Nathaniel said at the wedding, which I will never forget, that he, he always liked to downdress at a wedding because he didn't want to shine brighter than the groom. I love that. That was the best one I ever heard. <laughs> Something like that, that's the way he said it. But anyway, uh, we had a great time at that. Okay, where was I? So we're talking about this, and one of the other things I wanted to say beforehand, this discourse between Nicodemus and Jesus is unique to the Gospel of John. You don't find it anywhere else. This is the only place it's found. So John, John picked this thing, and if you watch The Chosen, I didn't know this in the Bible, but if you watch The Chosen, John was listening to him talking to Nicodemus. And one of the guys I read about this chapter said, it's possible John was listening to this discourse between him and Nicodemus. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because John knew what they talked about. We don't know. And of course, you know, the chosen, it's got to be inspired, right? <clears throat> I don't know. I, I like watching. Anybody watch the chosen besides me? Come on now. Oh, look at this. This is great. If you haven't watched the chosen, you should try it because it is a fabulous reenactment of Jesus' life and the scriptures. And I know there's backstories that's not in the Bible, but they do nothing. They do no damage to the Word of God. They, they bring out the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus, and I think that's wonderful for people to see. Okay. So this discourse is unique to John, and it's, it's 
it's a dialogue that took place between Jesus and Nicodemus. And more than likely, there's a lot of different subjects on this because my Bible has read all the way through to verse 21. But more than likely, it, the discourse ended at verse 15. And then John gave us his, what he saw and what Jesus said. He gives us his, his uh, conclusion or his, uh, his evaluation of what Jesus said. You can look at it both ways. You can say Jesus went ahead and said all that. We don't know, but it's in the Word, and it's important to read this and to understand it. So I'm going to read 9 through 15. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. Now that may be a little different than than some of the your Bibles, because in America we got more Bibles than Heinz has pickles. And, you know, it's just everybody's got a different Bible. It's a little bit difficult sometimes to, you know, and then we get up and challenge somebody because you read out of an NIV and I read out of an NLT and I read out of an NASB. You know, we challenge one another. Oh, don't say that in my Bible. You know, and this is how we, and the devil gets us all fighting with one another about the Bible to use, and then we don't ever get anywhere with God. You know, I read the King James, I've read the New King James, I've read the NIV, I've read them all, I've read them all, all of them through numerous times. And I just picked out this Bible because this Bible is a literal Bible. It just says, this is what the Word says, you know, it's literal, it may not make a lot of sense, but here it is, you know. And I kind of like that because I know what the words are saying there. But anyway, your Bible can, you might be a little different, Okay. Okay, what we've got here is Nicodemus heard that you're supposed to be born again. And he's saying, how can this be? How can this be? How can a man be born of the Spirit? And Jesus says, you're a teacher in Israel and you don't understand. And then in verse 12, he says, if I told you earthly things... And you don't believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? Listen, Jesus is saying being born again is an earthly thing. Uh-oh, did he say that? Yeah, he did. It's an earthly thing. It's what we need here on earth. You understand what I'm saying? People on earth need to know they can be born again. They need to be born again of water and spirit, the Bible teaches we need to be born again, and it's an earthly thing. Heavenly things have to do with the redemption, that's the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. He, he said, I can't talk to you about God's plan of salvation and redemption if you don't realize that you need to be born again on earth. You need to be changed. You need to be transformed. How can I tell you anything about heavenly things? if you don't realize the need for redemption. 
See, that's, that's the problem sometimes. We don't realize our need for redemption. We don't realize that we are sinful. Nicodemus was a ruler or a teacher of Israel, but so he was, he was in a place where it was difficult for him to recognize his need of God. He was on earth, but he didn't realize what he needed. So how can Jesus tell him about these, these other treasures that are in heaven when you don't know your earthly need for God to live on earth? You need to be regenerated. You need to be born again. And then Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. What he's, what he's explaining here is no one has went into heaven and knows any of these things. But the Son of Man has come so that he can explain and give this information, give this, this to you. The Son of Man has come. God sent someone to explain this to you. And then he uses a parallel out of the Old Testament. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent. If you go to Numbers chapter 21, verse 9, there's not a big section on this. <laughs> I just happened to think something else about that script. That Moses was told to make a, what happened was they had sinned. They turned, to, turned and done, done this crazy sinning thing in the wilderness and God sent fiery serpents to bite them and they would die. Well, Moses pleaded to God for something to do and God said, hey Moses, I want you to make a, a, a serpent out of bronze, make the serpent out of bronze and put it up on a standard. A standard's like a, a pole, a flagpole or sometimes, sometimes it looks, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's it. Make it out of bronze, and if anybody looks at it, if anybody just looks at it, they'll live. If they've been bit by a serpent, they'll be healed, they'll live. And Jesus pulls that out of the Old Testament and says, just like Moses did that, that's what God's going to do with, with me. I'm going to be lifted up. It's, it's, a, it's alluding to the cross because a lot of their standards were banners and their standards that bore these things were like in the shape of a cross. Has anyone ever seen a banner like that? What's in the shape of a cross and there's a hanging down? I don't think we have anything here like that. But I've seen them before. They march out with them. Well, he was saying just like that, I'm going to be lifted up on that kind of a standard. And then he says that whoever believes may in him have eternal life. Whoever believes may in him have eternal life. The everlasting life of God. That's what eternal life is. The everlasting life of God. I used to say, and I don't know if it's accurate or not, but how many things you've heard from the pulpit that weren't accurate? I mean, come on, you can surely endure another one. But I heard a guy say one time, your mother gave you everlasting life. God has to give you eternal life. Because eternal life is the life of God. 
Your mom can't give you that. And that's what comes into you through believing in Christ, eternal life, life of God. Now, <laughs> I'll tell you, I almost feel unworthy to tackle this next scripture. We're going to read this next section. So, and then we're going to get into this. It says in verse 16, I'm going to read through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Verse 16, probably considered one of the most famous verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world. I always stop right after that first four words. For God so loved. For God so loved. It could have just said, for God loved. But they put that little word in there, so. It's an emphatic word. It's emphatic. God so loved. He so loved. There's a lot behind that little word in there. You could go way back to the beginning in the garden, how much God really cared for what he created in the world. He created us, our creator, so loved, so loved. We sing a lot about love. Now, this love word, it's the word agape, which is God's kind of love. It's the love that's a moral kind of love. It's a love that looks down and sees everything that's going on and understands the hearts of all men and realizes what the only cure can be to redeem them. And he makes, it's the love that makes the hard choices. Okay, fathers, we're back to you again. It, you make the hard choices. When the kids can't make the hard choices and you become the bad guy, right? Does anybody do that anymore? Ooh. Yeah, we don't want to be the bad guy, but sometimes somebody has to be the bad guy and usually it's dad, right? You know what you ladies always say? Go see your father. <laughs> My mom used to whip me the best she could for something I did. I, I had to have it about every hour. You know, I think that razor strap had on it, I need thee every hour. <laughs> the old hymn, you know. She'd whip the tar out of me and she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. I'm thinking, 
why, why would I have to wait? You've already done all the damage that I can possibly stand. But no, I hadn't. I hadn't got all the damage done that I thought. There was more to be had. Mom got her pound of flesh and dad wanted his too, you know. We killed the peach tree right outside the door because he tore so many limbs off of it. <laughs> yeah, the switch. Anybody ever get a switch? Oh, come on now. Oh, Ronnie. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah, well, I'm glad we lived in the country because you'd hear us boys howling every day of the week. I mean, oh. I remember one time I ran away from my dad. He was going to switch me. He's going to beat me or give me a belt because of something I did. Frank, folks, I was always in trouble. I was worse than the rainy boys. I'm telling you now. I don't know. I'm on the, I'm on the roll now. But anyway, I remember one time we was down at my cousin's house down here on Ogden Street. Ronnie lived right across the street. And I took off running because my dad was coming after me. And my dad yelled, you'll have to come home sometime. <laughs> and I, got, I was running. I thought, he's right. I might as well get it over with. Anyway. Oh, I'm lost now. Where did, where did I go back to? God's, but the love of God is the one that God's love makes the hard decisions, makes the difficult. Jesus' love's like that. Our, we have that kind of love in us, but we don't utilize it because we don't like to utilize it. It's hard on us. It's painful to use that kind of love. But God enabled us to do that. God has enabled his people to do that, the agape love. Now, I'm going to read this again. For God so loved the world that he gave. I like that word gave because it speaks of something. It speaks of sacrifice. He gave. He gave out of, the Bible says in John 1 that he came forth from the bosom of the Father. He was given right out of the bosom of God to us. It isn't that he sent his son. When you send somebody, you send an ambassador, that's sending somebody on a commission. You know what the word commission means? It means you're on a mission, but somebody is behind you that sent you. Later on, we'll see him sent, but in this particular verse, God gave, God gave his only son. And Rusty, don't be afraid. I'm going to talk about that, okay? His only begotten son. Did you notice that was put in here twice? God sent his only begotten son. You will never be called a begotten son. You're not a begotten son. You're an adopted son. This was meant to impact us, his only begotten son. Later on, it says that same thing that, um, I'm trying to find it here. Oh yeah, at the end of verse 18, believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. See, that means he's unique. Some Bibles might even say one of a kind. 
He sent his only one-of-a-kind son. There's no one else like him. In heaven, in earth, one-of-a-kind. There was one-of-a-kind. And God, I think this scripture wanted us to know that it was, a, it was a relational thing that was taking place here. God, re, God gave up something. God surrendered something to us that was precious to him. His only one-of-a-kind son came to us from heaven. Now, this is, if John was writing this from what he understood about who Jesus was, and Jesus wasn't saying this, it's amazing to me that, of course, John didn't write this during the time Jesus was on earth. He wrote it later, but it's like John could see the great value of this Christ, this Jesus that was sent to us. Later on, Peter says that we've not been redeemed with silver and gold, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of a spotless lamb. The disciples understood how precious this person was to God. And this person should be to us. And then the second part is in there. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It seems to me like there has to be a decision made about this. I mean, I, I've read these verses many times and I think the first time I read it, I didn't learn it in Bible school or I didn't learn it, you know, I wasn't much of a, I wasn't a believer when I was a young man. I became a believer when I was 23 years old. And so I didn't, you know, but when I read that verse, I'm thinking this is something that, that necessitates a decision. That whoever, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. You see, the idea of perishing, he hasn't talked to us much about perishing in all this. Oh, there's a choice between perishing and having eternal life. Well, it sounds like a no-brainer to me. I'll, I'll pick the eternal life rather than the perishing. Right? See, the idea of perishing is the end of refusing to believe. But the idea of eternal life, it's the end to all who believe. That's the end of it. You will have eternal life. Now, that was the gave part. Jesus was given to us. And over here in verse 17... God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but the world should be saved through him. This is his commission. This is his authoritative commission. He was sent so that he might save the world. Sent. He visited us to save us, not to judge us. In fact, it says... If you believe, you're not judged. But a refusal to believe amounts to judgment. 
Now, I know Brad. I love Brad. I've known Brad since he was a young lad. And he was a very go-getter kid. Before he went out on the wayside and came back, I remember him at the church. He was a go-getter. He's always been a go-getter. And I know when Brad gets up to preach, every time it's over with, he's going to invite people to get saved because he has that heart of an evangelist. That's from the heart of God. That comes from God. He just wants people to know Jesus. I mean, he could be preaching about Job and the three guys that came and disturbed him, and Brad will end up in salvation because that's his heart. That's where he's at. Am I right, Nathaniel? He must be out there guarding us today or something. I don't know. But that's, that's his heart, and there's nothing wrong with that. I like that. But the Bible is a, is a call to us that Jesus has visited us in order to save us, and God sent him to save us. But beyond that, God gave him to us because God knew that we would not be able to handle truth. We would not be able to handle him and that we would kill him. Well, it says if you refuse to believe, it brings you into judgment. And this is what judgment looks like in verse 19. It said, this is judgment. Lights come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. I just love the way the Bible teaches us about real theology. You like light? I sure do. I can't see. I stumble in darkness. But I love light so I can see what I'm doing, where I'm going, what's happening. It's a simple principle. We don't get up in the morning and turn the light out. We get up in the morning and turn the light on. We go into the light because that's normal for us to be able to see what we're doing, what's going on. And that's, but he says, spiritually, when you refuse to believe, you're men who are actually walking away from the light because you hate light and you want to stay in darkness. I always like the illustration of some of the hangouts I used to hang out in. You ever walked, well, I got to be careful here. Are there kids in the room? Well, you know, I used to walk in the bars. And, you know, I never walk in a bar that was lit up like the light of day. They're always dark as a dungeon because no one wants to watch what everybody else is doing. And no one wants anybody to see what they're doing. That's the way I figured it. After I got saved, I kind of like God gave me a spirit of genius, and I began to realize that. Oh, yeah, men do love darkness, especially when they're in a bar, hanging out with somebody, you know. Anyway, that's an illustration that I thought was pretty good, you know. I'm not saying everybody in a bar is going to hell. Don't go around saying Jeff said that. I'm just saying we love darkness rather than light when our deeds are not really where we ought to be with God. Light came into the world through Jesus, and men did not come to the light because their, evil, because their deeds were evil. They didn't want their deeds to be exposed. Everyone who continually does evil hates the light and won't come to it because it will expose them. 
Do you know what? This is talking to us about human nature. Am I right? It's wanting us to read this. John's wanting us to read this and say, yeah, that's, that's the way I am. He wanted Pharisees to read it and say, yeah, that's the way we are. It, it has to crack the egg in your heart so you can begin to see where you are. This says a lot about human nature. These are the earthly things that Jesus was talking about. If I tell you about earthly things and you don't understand it, how can I tell you about heavenly things that God has been planning for this world and for us, for you? These are earthly things. Men love darkness rather than light. All of us. Now, once you're saved, you, you like, you know, I'd like to believe that everybody came here this morning, wanted to stand, get, get into the light, the light of God's word, the light of Jesus' presence that we felt this morning in worship. We want to spend time with the light. He's the light of the world. We're the lights of the world. We want to be with him. We want to know him and love him, draw near to him. But I will say this. See, after, after what I share here, 22 goes on with something else. After these things, and it goes on. So John is setting, he's setting the stage for the rest of his gospel. He's setting the stage for the opportunities for you and I to see in further chapters where light came into the situation and men rejected the light and ran to the darkness. That's what he wants us to see. When men love the light, they believe. They come to belief. When men hate the light, they stay in unbelief. That's what he wants us to see in these other chapters. So he's, he's setting the stage for the, for the rest of the gospel. Jesus speaks and performs signs and wonders, and Pharisees see these things, and they continue to refuse to accept him and his word. He wants us to see that. And, bring, you know, as we see that and we recognize that, it's, it speaks to us about us as it reveals to us who Jesus is. And then the last verse, I, I never really understand this too much, but I think I, I'm also going to give you what I think. Not too many other people understood it either. But he who practices the truth, most Bibles will say he who does the truth. But the word does there in the way the Greek is used, it's a continual doing. It's a, so they, they use the word practice in my way. You're practicing. You know, you keep practicing. Practicing the truth. When you're practicing the truth, you may not get it right all the time, but when you're practicing the truth, does what is true. When you're, when you're practicing or doing the truth, it's, it's coming to the light. You're coming into the light. You're trying to come into the light. You know, a lot of times, people give up too quick sometimes in their walk with God because they feel like they failed. They feel like God has turned against them because they failed in something. 
But sometimes you're just practicing truth, and you don't always get it right. I go out and watch kids practice soccer. Do they get it right all the time, Jarvis? No. You're practicing. But it's important to keep practicing. And this verse 21 coincides with verse 14 and 15 because people who are coming to the truth they, that they might believe, and once they've believed, you see, it, it brings them to a, the place of eternal life, and then in that eternal life, they just keep practicing the truth. See, truth is not just something, in America, we think truth is something we know in our head. I remember Maury said many years ago, he preached in my church, uh, I don't know, it was a long time ago. Maury, you remember Maury? Amen, yeah. Maury said to the Jew, you don't know a truth until you're able to do it. Now think about that. You don't really know a truth until you're able to do it. We think truth is just concepts and things like that. But to the Jew, truth was something you could apply to your life like a disciple and walk it out and keep walking it out until you were able to do it without even thinking about it. It's not just in your head. It's for your heart, truth is. It's for practice. It's for doing. And when you're doing it, it means you really believe it. And you see, what I'm trying to show you here is John was setting the stage for the things that's going to take place in the rest of his book. One of the things you'll notice in the book to follow as people preach, a lot of things happened around the feasts, the different feasts of the Jews. They had different feasts going on. Jesus would be at the, like a Passover, and be, he would be there instructing. He would be at one of the feasts they were having. He, he put a lot of his teaching around the feasts, and the things that Jesus said coincided with that. But you'll follow, you, you'll, you'll see that as, as you get into the book. Well, let's stand. Get off your seat a little bit and let the blood flow a little bit. I'm going to pray. Then you can sit back down. And, and are we having communion today? Is it coming? Is it okay? I want to make sure. Today, as we receive the elements of communion, I would just want to encourage you to just let your heart draw near to God. Think about what God gave and how he gave completely, freely to us. His son, his only, unique, one-of-a-kind son for you and I, right out of his heart, right out of his bosom, he gave him to us. Father, thank you for these words today from the scriptures. Thank you for just showing us, Lord God, your plan, your purpose. Help us not only to know the earthly things that we're to be involved in here and to understand about ourselves, but also help us to receive the heavenly things that Jesus came to give us, that he was sent to reveal to us. Help us to know how to appropriate those things and help us to know how to walk with Him. Help us to practice truth, not just have it in our head, 
but to be able to practice it, to walk it out, Lord, the way you desire us to. And I ask you to bless each man, woman, boy, and girl here today, God, as we receive these elements, Lord God, as we receive the precious blood of Christ, and as we receive that body that was broken for us, Lord, help us to realize today that it was no light, easy thing for you to make that decision that was based on your great love for us, Lord, in giving your Son to us to die for us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.